0: Good morning everybody. Um, if you don't have a Bible to read or follow during the sermon, do you want to put your hand up? I'm sure James at some point will be able to um, deliver them. So if you don't have a Bible, please just put your hand up James will help you. The reading this morning is from John chapter 10, uh, verses 22 and following John chapter 10 verses 22. Here is the word of the Lord. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me?" We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are the gods? If he called them gods, To whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said, I am God's Son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, Michael, thank you very much indeed. Do please keep that passage open. Uh, do you all have a Bible? Uh, if you, raise your hand if you haven't got one. I think it will be helpful for you to have one. And uh, I'll lead us in prayer. Well, Heavenly Father, you have promised to be with your church watching over us protecting us and providing all that we need for life and godliness. We thank you that you know our past and understand it completely, that you know our needs and are able to meet them adequately, that you know our destiny and are able to prepare us for it perfectly. So will you come to us now and speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, that each one of us here this morning might be conscious that we're listening to the voice of the Lord Jesus, calling us now to follow him into the future, for it is in his name we ask it. Amen. Now, the question that we're going to be thinking about for just a few minutes this morning is, um, why do so many people today reject Jesus and you might say to me well Simon that's a pretty strange question Uh, we just heard those delightful testimonies from Melita and Sebastian they obviously love Jesus they're not rejecting him and Simon what about the fact that there are more Christians in churches around the world this morning than ever before and that's true well it is true but the the implication in that statement is that there's no one in churches on Sunday morning who hasn't rejected Jesus. And I'm not sure that's a safe assumption. So for example, in August 2020, the Pew Research Center in America published a survey which said that half of all professing Christians believe that casual sex is sometimes or always acceptable. Uh, the survey defined casual sex as sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed romantic relationship. Apparently, half of all professing Christians think that's okay. Now, of course, sexual sin is no worse than any other sin; uh, it can be forgiven. But just think about it. Almighty God says that sex is to be between a man and a woman who are committed to one another for life in the union of marriage. That's what God says. But half of all professing Christians are saying, no, God's got that wrong. So the point of that is that whilst a significant proportion of the population still goes to church and agrees at some level with the message of Christianity, Functionally, in the way that they live, they've rejected Jesus. And the question before us this morning is why? Now, that is the issue that emerges from our passage. You might not have picked that up, but I assure you it is. And in case you're with us for the first time, uh, you need to know that the context here is that Jesus has just announced that he is the Good Shepherd. Uh, Two weeks ago we saw that that is an unmistakable claim to be God keeping a promise that God made in the Old Testament to come and look after his sheep, look after all his people. Now as our passage begins, it's about three months later, and Jesus is talking here to some religious people about his promise and plan for all those who truly belong to him. And that promise is set out very wonderfully in verse 28. You might like to just have a look at it. In verse 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now, I'm going to say more about that a bit later. It is one of the loveliest promises that the Lord Jesus makes. Uh, And it comes with another promise that a Christian is a person who will never perish. What on earth does that mean? Well, one way to think about it is that from the very moment that a person becomes a Christian, there is never a time when they are separated from the presence of Jesus, not even for a split second The continuous presence of Jesus in the believer's life is a wonderful reality that is totally independent of feelings and circumstances. Jesus is always with his sheep. He's watching over us, making sure we get to heaven. And uh, next week, next Sunday morning, when we come to chapter 11, we're going to see that Jesus even goes with us when we pass through death into the life of the world to come. Now, wherever you might stand on Christian things this morning, that is a very striking promise. At the very least, it's surely worth investigating, isn't it? But the surprising thing is that the people in this passage don't want to. They refuse to even think about it. They're hostile. Now, friends, of course, that has been the pattern throughout history. Of course, many, many people accept Jesus. But here in this passage, John gives us three reasons why people rejected Jesus then and why they are still rejecting him today. The three reasons John gives, I'll tell you very quickly, are fear, number one, denial, number two, and status, number three. Let's look very briefly at those together. Firstly, fear. In verse 22, John makes a point of telling us that uh, the confrontation between Jesus and these religious folk takes place during a particular festival, the Feast of Dedication. Now that was a festival of thanksgiving which celebrated a time when Israel had been rescued from a particularly evil tyrant, and temple worship, which had been interrupted, was graciously restored. So the Feast of Dedication was a reminder of the importance of the temple in Israel's national life. It was, if you like, symbolic of Israel's status, as the chosen people of God. And if you use your sanctified imagination to just picture the vastness of that structure, those huge buildings, those buildings spoke of permanence and stability and continuity in matters of religion. But Jesus has now become a massive threat to all of that. In verse 24, you'll notice that we're told that the Jews encircle Jesus. And the word there means that they, they gather around him in a very menacing way. And their question is very revealing. In the original, their question reads like this. How long are you going to annoy us? In other words, Jesus has got right up their nose. Now it's important for us I think to pause on that for just a moment because over the last few weeks we've been thinking about the fact that the impression that many people have of Jesus as kind of gentle and meek is really very, very unbalanced. It doesn't fit with the way that Jesus was seen by his contemporaries. Now of course it is certainly true That Jesus is the saviour of children. There's plenty of evidence of that, uh, that Jesus has a very special place in his heart for children and for families. But friends, you see, if we stop there and we don't read our Bible any more closely, what we end up doing is reducing Jesus to the level of a social worker. He becomes the kind of person who might qualify perhaps for a government grant to go and uh, open a children's home in Kailitsha or something like that. But you see, if that was all that Jesus was interested in, why did people want to kill him? No, the clear evidence of scripture is that his contemporaries saw Jesus as a highly controversial figure. The highest authorities in the land considered him to be a threat to their independence. They were frightened. Now to show you I'm not making that up, just turn over the page, will you, to chapter 11 and verse 48. Chapter 11, verse 48, where we find the record of a discussion about Jesus in the Sanhedrin. Uh, That, I guess, was the equivalent of our parliament today. And Jesus says that some of them were saying, verse 48, if we let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And you'll notice that there's a little footnote next to the word place. And if you glance down to the bottom of the page, you can see that the place they were talking about was the temple. So friends, can you see that there's absolutely no doubt that the top brass saw Jesus as a very serious threat? They saw in Jesus a challenge uh, both to their independence and indeed to their entire religious framework. Now that is exactly how people still feel about the Lord Jesus today. Whenever any of us begin to investigate the claims of Christ by perhaps looking at the eyewitness accounts like John's Gospel, and we start to think seriously about the claims that he makes on our lives, we feel exactly the same pressure. And we start asking ourselves questions like this. Well, you know, if this is true and uh, if i become a committed follower of jesus like sebastian and melita what what are my friends going to say um, what's this going to mean for my lifestyle i mean certain things are going to have to change i don't like change now that is the experience of every christian here this morning there came a time when our eyes began to be open to see who Jesus is, and we found ourselves being drawn towards him. But at the same time, antagonism began to arise in our hearts so that we were both attracted to him and repelled by him at the same time. Both reactions mixed up together. Why? Well, because by nature, all of us are hostile to the claims of Christ, And so when the Lord Jesus, as it were, invades our space, well, just like the Jews in this passage, we don't like it. And so we try and push him out of our minds. So that's the first thing. People reject Jesus because they're frightened. But then the second reason we see here about why people reject Jesus and his wonderful offer of eternal life is that they are, In denial now some people today claim they actually don't know the Bible well enough to make sense of the teaching of Jesus Um, they say that you know in our culture where the Bible is quite honestly not as well known as it used to be in previous generations that some of the references Jesus makes to rather obscure Old Testament passages are way beyond them And uh, they feel rather put off by that. And they don't want to take it any further. But friends, let's be clear. Jesus' ministry was not simply a ministry of talking. Jesus was a doer. He did miracles that no one has done before or since. And John, in his book describes these miracles as signs or signposts because they point beyond themselves. And they're vital clues to help us understand who Jesus really is. And the very first generation of Christians, the people who were eyewitnesses of everything Jesus did, were in no doubt at all as to the meaning. What was the meaning? Well, keep a finger in John 10, turn ahead to chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 30, where John tells us why he wrote his book. John chapter 20, verse 30. John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now what John is saying there is this. I can give you any amount of evidence. There's no shortage of evidence. Actually, there's too much. So what I've done is I've carefully selected all the material you could ever possibly need to bring you to faith. So the problem isn't a lack of evidence. There's plenty of evidence. The problem is people won't consider it. They're in denial about it. Now, that is the problem that uh, Jesus is dealing with in John 10. Come back there now. Because in verse 24, the people come to Jesus, and in verse 24 they say, if you're the Christ... Tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, verse 25, I did tell you, but you don't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. In other words, the things that I've done in front of you have spoken for me, but you're ignoring them. Now again, you see, we face exactly the same situation today. People ignore The evidence, the eyewitness testimony of these marvelous miracles, they ignore it and they reject it without even considering it. Now, isn't that remarkable? Because in every other important decision in life, they consider the evidence very carefully indeed. I mean, imagine deciding to marry someone without bothering to get to know them. I suppose they do that in. Las Vegas, but you wouldn't do that, would you? Or imagine, you know, buying a house without getting it checked out by an expert. Or taking a job without finding out something about the employer. You wouldn't do any of those things. You'd be extremely foolish if you did. And yet, that is precisely what people today do with Jesus. The simple truth is, that many of your friends and family have never read a gospel for themselves, at least not since they were adults. So what happens is when you talk to them about Jesus, what you find is that they've got secondhand doubts and second-hand opinions picked up from other people or perhaps from the media. But when you press them, you find they've never actually studied a gospel seriously for themselves. So what on earth is to be done? Is there any hope for people who've stuck their head in the sand and are living in denial of all the marvelous evidence that John has preserved for us in his book? There's a a rather lovely story I like of a marvelous missionary working in Tokyo in Japan many years ago and he he labored for some very considerable time in a particularly depraved and immoral part of the city, but God did amazing things through him. And uh, from time to time, he would hold an open meeting and he would ask all those people who had been delivered from an immoral life through faith in Christ to stand up. And every single time, lots and lots of people would stand up. But then, he would ask you to stand if you had been delivered from an immoral life and a depraved life by atheism, not, not a belief in God, or, from, or, or by idolatry, the worship of other gods. And of course, nobody would move. Very interesting. Um, experience taught him never to ask whether people had been healed physically in their bodies, because he had learned that demonic powers can copy physical healing miracles, just like Pharaoh's magicians did in Egypt, if you remember that story. But you see, whilst those dark forces, those demonic forces, might be able to perform healing miracles, they could never replicate holiness miracles, Because the powers of darkness can never, never, never change an evil man into a good man. And here's the lesson for us. Your friends may well have a Bible at home somewhere. I I don't know, it might be a beautiful presentation Bible uh, in calfskin with their initials embossed in gold letters on the front. Perhaps one of their godparents gave it to them many, many years ago. They're not reading it. But when they come round to your house, they see you. And what they see in you is a book bound in human skin. You are a testimony in human skin. And that can be enough to prompt them to ask about Christ. And by God's grace, you might actually be their only hope. So people today reject Jesus either because they're frightened or because they're in denial. But there's a third reason. They also reject Jesus because of their status. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 25. Can we all see verse 25 in our Bibles? Jesus says, you do not believe because you Are not my sheep. In other words, you're outsiders. That is your status, spiritually speaking. And then, very wonderfully, Jesus qualifies, he clarifies what he means by that, by giving us the two marks of all those people who are his sheep and who truly belong to him. Verse 27 very important verse, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now isn't that refreshingly simple? I think one of the things that's a real stumbling block for the serious seeker are the differences between different Christian denominations. Do you agree with me on that? Someone say yes. Thank you. They say, don't they, you see, if you people can't agree on the right way to worship God, how on earth can I know which church to join? But you see here, Jesus cuts right through all that. And he says that the boundaries of the kingdom of God are not defined by your liturgy or by your tradition. It doesn't actually matter whether you're conservative or charismatic or Pentecostal or Anglican or Methodist or whatever you are. Jesus says all of that is secondary. A person can know whether they're going to heaven or not by the answer they give to two extremely simple questions. Do you listen to Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? In other words, do you do what he says? And to those who can honestly say yes to both of those questions... Jesus gives the most precious gift anyone can ever have. Verse 28, I give them eternal life. Now, we touched on that earlier, and I said I'd say a little bit more about that later. What does Jesus mean by that? I want to suggest to you that it means three things. First, when Jesus says that he gives his people eternal life, It means that Jesus gives them the ability to believe the testimony about him in Scripture. You see, faith is not an intellectual achievement. Faith is a gift. And there's a very marvellous illustration of the point in our passage. Just look at the end of the passage, will you? Jesus leaves Jerusalem and he goes across the Jordan to the place where John the Baptist had been uh, preparing people for the coming of God's Son into the world. And when he arrived there, many people came to Jesus. Now look at the second half of verse 41. I find this fascinating. They said, though John the Baptist never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, Many believed in Jesus. Now, will you please think about the contrast? On the one hand, the religious elite, the brain boxes, the guys who'd been to Bible college in Jerusalem, had the privilege of witnessing the miracles of Jesus and listening to the best sermons ever preached. But they didn't believe. In fact, they only wanted to kill him. On the other hand, many of the country people, the people across the Jordan who had none of those advantages, who'd seen no miracles, nevertheless recognized that John's testimony about Jesus was true, and they believed. And you know, in my own life, I've always thought it rather strange that I must have heard the gospel being preached many times in very privileged circumstances without ever actually believing it. And it was only when I'd left that privileged world far behind that the Lord opened my eyes. Now, that is the message of the New Testament. When Jesus says, I give them eternal life, he means that in his perfect timing, he gives us the ability to believe that he is who he says he is. Second, the gift of eternal life means that Jesus gives us the ability to go on listening and following him. Contrary to what many people think, the Christian life is a happy life. God wants you and me to be happy people. But friends, that happiness can only be found by listening to what God has said in his word and putting it into practice. And that, you see, is why in the book of Psalms, the truly happy person, the blessed person, is the person who is always meditating on God's word. He's reflecting on it. He's chewing it over and thinking about how it applies to every area of his life. So can we be clear that becoming a Christian does not mean that I start out listening and following Jesus, but then I sort of graduate to other sort of higher spiritual experiences. It doesn't mean that. And nor does it mean that i can stop listening and f- listening to jesus and following him in the way that i did at first because i've suddenly got terribly busy and i've got a young family neither of those things becoming a christian means starting a whole new life in which listening to jesus and following him is my first priority and everything else comes after that and it is shaped by it. And When Jesus says, I give them eternal life, he's saying that he comes and lives within us by his spirit and gives us a new ability that we didn't have before to go on listening and following. Well, we're nearly done. But what about the person who started well full of great enthusiasm, but then circumstances got on top of them. And now they find themselves battling with um, alcohol, or pornography, or bad temper, or drugs. I don't know. If you can, the list goes on. If that is you, Jesus wants you to hear the whole of verse 28. Jesus says, I give my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You know, lots of people think, don't they, that being a Christian means being a good person. Well, it might mean that, and it often does lead to that. But, you know, if being a Christian today depended on me and my performance, well, I would have ceased to be a Christian a very long time ago. Because thirdly, when Jesus gives a person eternal life, he promises they will never perish. No one and nothing can change that. Do your friends know that? Do you know that? I love Bishop Ryle's comment on verse 28 and I hope it will appear on the screen. This is his comment on Jesus' words there in verse 28. He says, Weak as they are, Christ's people will all be saved. Not one of them shall be lost and cast away. Not one of them shall miss heaven. If they err, they shall be brought back. If they fall, they shall be raised. The enemies of their soul may be strong and mighty, but their saviour is mightier. And none shall pluck them out of their saviour's hand. Now, dear friends, that is a marvellous promise, isn't it? With amazing, amazing security. I don't know, but perhaps today you're starting to realise that you are an outsider. And you don't want to be one any longer. I'm going to ask James to put a short prayer on the screen. Um, I'll read it through once so that you get the hang of it. And if you feel that Jesus is calling you, well, when I read it a second time, why don't you pray it silently in your heart? Here's how it goes. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge Jesus to be your Son, the Son of God. I repent of that deep desire within me to avoid the conflict, and opt for neutrality. I thank you for the good works of Jesus, especially that great work on the cross. When he bore our sins to save us from hell, I long to believe in him. Give me a new heart that I may trust in Jesus and obey him from this day forward and forever. So that's where we're going. If you want to, why don't you pray this silently and seriously in your heart. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge Jesus to be your Son, the Son of God. I repent of that deep desire within me to avoid the conflict and opt for neutrality. I thank you for the good works of Jesus, especially that great work on the cross when he bore our sins to save us from hell. I long to believe in him. Give me a new heart that I may trust in Jesus and obey him from this day forward and forever. Amen.